You know, we've been singing that great song that says this morning, all my hope is in you. You know, that's a great thing to say when things are going well and when things aren't going that well. All my hope is in you. And I, I just, I love the words of that song. But what about when things aren't going that well this morning and uh, you're facing some challenge, maybe you're facing some, even a crisis or some real issue in your life that you don't have the answer, you don't know what to do, where to turn to. What do you do in those difficult times? What do you do when, when you're really challenged by something and you don't have a solution yourself? I'll be looking at that this morning. We've been just going through over the last few weeks the, the big series. Who's been enjoying the big series? Yeah, the big people, big events and big stories that shaped our world and changed history. So this morning we're going to continue on with this fantastic story from the Old Testament about, that revealed the heart of God and God's capacity to break in on your world in the midst of a crisis situation and bring a great solution for you there. So if you're going through something today, if you're going through a difficult time, then uh, uh, listen up. Maybe God's got something to say for you this morning. This is um, a tale of two kings, we could say, a couple of kings from the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to get straight into this, Second Kings chapter 3. And uh, the first king we're going to call the bad guy. And uh, his name is Joram. And it says in 1 Kings 3, Chapter verse 1, that Joram, son of Ahab, this guy's the king of Israel, okay? Son of Ahab began his rule over Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he was king for 12 years. And in God's sight, he was a bad king. But he wasn't as bad as his father and mother. So, I mean, when you think about that, what kind of a character reference would that be? You know, this guy's bad, but he's not as bad as some. And when I was reading that, I thought, well, it's kind of like us sometimes that we, we like to compare ourselves to other people, don't we? We love to make comparisons. We like to look at other people and say, well, you know, you know look what's happening in their life. At least I'm not that bad. You know, and we, you know, we think, we look at some people and say, well, you know, is there any hope for them? Because we like to make those kind of comparisons with other people. But one of the problems with that kind of thinking is it implies that God has a rating system for sins and you know it might be a badness scale or it might be a goodness scale depending on whether you're rating other people or yourself you know but we like to we like to label sins according to the level of severity you know from from you know sort of mild through to really really serious do you ever ever think like that some people are willing to own up to that, <laughs> you know. But you know what, friends? That's an Old Testament idea. It's something that comes from the first part of the Bible where God wrote all of these rules and he gave the people of Israel lists and lists of rules and ways to live their life and so on. And the lists in the Old Testament of, of when you commit this kind of sin or you've got this kind of problem, this is what you have to do to fix it up. And there are lists of sacrifices in the Old Testament that people had to do when they did certain kind of sins. The difficulty with that is that when you did the sacrifice, you, you, then you fixed things all up, but you are only holy until the next time you sinned. That's a problem. I don't know how you'd feel about that, but you'd be always on the edge of your seat thinking, well, gee, I hope I don't do anything wrong today. I hope I don't stuff up today and really, you know, and God gets angry with me. 
I'm so glad that we don't live in that era any longer and that the Bible is abundantly clear that we've come into a new era where God's grace has swept away all of that stuff. And the Bible is very clear about this. It says that the law and the prophets existed for a certain time until John the Baptist, it says. But then Jesus came along and now we have grace and truth. It's a different kind of an era. And what happens right now is that when we open our heart to God, the Bible says that He comes in. That Jesus comes to live on the inside of you and starts to change you from the inside out. And that means a, a permanent thing. That means that you're not being judged for every little thing you do wrong because it's a heart change. And when God changes your heart, it begins to affect your behavior and your attitudes and everything works out from the inside. Isn't that a better system? Don't you like that? That's a much better way of relating to God. And I'm so glad today that every one of us in this room and everyone on this planet can have that kind of a relationship with God. That's a fantastic thing. That's a wonderful thing. So we're going to talk about these two kings. The first one is the bad guy. Then we get to the good guy who is the king of Judah. His name is Jehoshaphat. Everyone say Jehoshaphat. Okay, you got it. Okay, one kings, the first service, I had to give them a say it twice. So that, you guys have had coffee, haven't you? So you're right. Okay, one kings 22, verse 42 to 43. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king and he ruled for 25 years in Jerusalem. He continued the kind of life characteristic of his father Asa. No detours, no dead ends, pleasing God with his life. But he failed to get rid of the neighborhood sex and religion shrines. People continued to pray and worship at these idolatrous shrines. So this guy Jehoshaphat, he basically knew the right way to go and he wanted to do the right thing, but there were still a few things that he left undone. Uh, basically, he had a good heart, you know, and he really wanted to do the right thing. So the story goes that the king of Israel was at war with a neighboring country, the Moabites. And the Moabites had been a continual thorn in Israel's side. And God had said to the people of Israel, you know, don't have anything to do with those people. Don't take on their detestable practices because the Moabites were into things like ritual prostitution and child sacrifice. And God said, I don't want any of those things having anything to do with the people of God. So what happened is Israel as a nation had conquered. They were ruling over these Moabites and the they Moabites were paying tax, like a lot of tax every year. Anyway, after a certain time, the Moabites got sick of paying the tax and they said, we're not going to pay this tax any longer. And they rebelled against Israel. So... The Israelites got together, the king of Israel and the king of Judah got together and they said, we need to go and, and suppress these Moabites, bring them back into order again. And so the two kings agree to work together and they also conscripted another one of their neighbors, the king of Edom. And uh, they rallied their armies, got everyone together and they started marching toward this looming battle. Now they've been going for about seven days. They're marching towards Moab through the desert and all of a sudden, guess what? They run out of water. That's a problem. That's an issue. You can't have three armies in the desert without water. 
I can imagine the buzzards were starting to circle around, you know. I can imagine they're looking up at the sky and it's sort of, you know, it's starting to get a bit sort of funny and they're running out of water. What are they going to do? We're going to look this morning at um, the, the different responses of these three kings, how they responded in the situation. This is number one, the attitudes of a miracle. See, what was happening here, God is about to do something awesome. God is about to do an amazing miracle. God is about to, to meet these people in the midst of a crisis and meet their need. Let's have a look at this and see how they responded to it in the middle of the situation. You know, how, how you and I respond in a crisis time says a lot about the kind of people that we really are. What's going on on the inside? Where you put your hope. That's why I love the words of that song, All My Hope Is In You. Every time when you sing something like that, every time when you declare something like that, you're entrenching a truth in your spirit. God, my hope is going to be in you. I'm not going to put my hope in cash converters. <laughs> Sorry if you're a cash converters operator here. But I'm not going to put my hope in maybe some other kind of desperate measure that you can... Find to get you out of a problem. My hope, God, is going to be in you. So the king of Edom, these three kings, the kings, they've got together. They're having a, a little emergency meeting. What are we going to do? We've got three armies here. We're running out of water. It's a problem. They got together a little G3 kind of a meeting. And uh, the king of Edom, he doesn't say anything at all. He's just along for the ride. He appears to be passive in the situation, a bit like, you know, a kind of wallpaper person and nothing much. He doesn't respond, doesn't have any kind of response to this crisis situation. But the king, then the king of Israel, he begins to speak up. And his problem is he blames God for the situation. In 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 10, it says, The king of Israel said, Bad news. God has gotten us three kings out here to dump us into the hand of Moab. Now, the amazing thing about this is here's a king who didn't love God, wasn't following God, wasn't being obedient to God. And all of a sudden, when tough times come, when he's in a crisis, straight away he wants to blame God for his problems. How weird is that? That's, you know, now, before, before any of you get... Um, kind of a bit self-righteous about this and say, well, you know, I wouldn't do that. that. I would never do that. Just turn to the person next door and say, you know, I would never do that. <laughs> you know, the disciples of Jesus, that's exactly what they did. If, if, you, if you do that, let me tell you, you're in pretty good company. The disciples of Jesus even did this. There's one day they're walking along with Jesus and they met a man who had been born blind he was blind from birth. And the disciples said to Jesus, Well, who sinned this man or his parents that he was resulting in him being born blind? And Jesus said to them, Boys, you're asking the wrong question. You know, there's no such cause and effect thing happening here. Let's see what God wants to do in this situation. And so it's very important, friends, when things go wrong, when things come unstuck, get unraveled, that we don't automatically just thrust ourselves into a mode where we start, well, what's going on? And try and blame, you know what? Whole industries have grown up around that kind of mentality today. And I just encourage you this morning, don't be like that. Be, be a person who takes the, the, the next response, the next attitude we'll get to in a second. But you know, when I start to take responsibility 
for my own situation and responsibility for my own failings. You know what's happening? I'm just starting to grow up. And, uh, you know, sometimes you might say, well, you know, I grew up 20 years ago or 30 years ago, whatever. But that's not always the case. When I take responsibility for my own actions and my own failings, I've just started to grow up. And I put myself in a position where God can rescue me, God can use me, where God can empower me. Let's look at the attitude or the response of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. The king of Israel blamed God for the problem. The king of Judah looks to God for the answer, for the solution. He says, but Jehoshaphat, this is verse 11, but Jehoshaphat said, isn't there a prophet of God anywhere around here? through whom we can consult God. So he wants to hear what God has to say about this crisis. He knows they're in a tight spot. He knows they're in a problem. They're in a very difficult situation. And his first thought is, what's God saying to me right now? See, he's got faith for an answer. He's got faith to believe for a solution. I would encourage you this morning, if you're facing a difficult situation right now, the best thing you can do is put your trust in God 100%. Absolutely. Say, God, I don't know how to get out of this. I I don't know what to do in this situation. I can't fix this on my own. But I know that you've got the capacity. I know that you've got the answer. A great way to respond in a crisis. And it made me think, I was just thinking about this uh, this morning. And years ago, we were living down in Stanthorpe. And we, and we felt to move down there, God had spoken to us really clearly to go down there and start a church. So we went down there with a, a lot of enthusiasm and not much of anything else. And uh, we, we, we had a, a, a car, you know, which was a good car, but, but the car started playing up. We'd been there a year or so, and, and uh, we really didn't have a lot of money or resources at all but at that time. But the car started to make a noise, and uh, it, it got a, um, this high-pitched sort of a scream. And I, I, I thought of this after Ben shared his story in the first service about repairing his car. You know, and um, so our car was, was playing up. I, I knew that it was an alternator bearing. And I had to get a new alternator, which I just couldn't afford at that time. So what are we going to do? So instead of taking it to the back garage and trying to fix it, we prayed. I, know, I knew Ben would love this story. We, we, we prayed. And guess what happened? The noise stopped. It just went away and it never came back. And we had that car for a number of years after that. The noise never, ever came back and I never, ever replaced the alternator. But that was, that was an amazing thing for us at that time because God met us at the point of a real need. Maybe only a small thing, but I tell you what, it was a big thing for us at the time. And God met us in that crisis moment. So the king of Judah says, what's God saying to us right now? And here comes Elisha the prophet. Someone says, well, there's a prophet here uh, who, who hears from God. Let's go and find him. They found Elisha. Don't ask me what Elisha the prophet was doing in the midst of these armies, but he was tagging along. Maybe God said to him, I want you to go down there because you're going to need to say something in a couple of days' time. I don't know. Elisha was there and uh, they met with Elisha. This is what Elisha says in verse 14. Elisha says to Joram, who's the the bad guy, As God of the angel armies lives, if it wasn't for the respect I have for Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I wouldn't give you the time of day. 
but considering, bring me a musician. Now this is where it gets really interesting. He says, I don't really, you know, you've you got to sort your own problem out, Joram. But because Jehoshaphat is here, I will bring a word from God. Let's find out what God is saying. Bring me a musician. And that says something powerful to us about the relevance and the power of worship in our lives. It could have been a couple of things. It could have been that, that uh, Elisha was just kind of agitated about this king of Israel and he needed to be calmed down a bit. I don't know. But I think more than that, it was much more like that Elisha understood the principle that when we begin to worship God, that his presence comes and his word is released in our hearts and God begins to speak in our midst. And I want to encourage you this morning, friends, if you're not a worshipper of God, have a think about this. Because, you know, maybe you've, maybe you've known the Lord for some time. Maybe you've made the decision to become a follower of Jesus, which is the most amazing thing you can do in your life. I'll encourage you this morning to take the next step and say, not only am I going to be a follower of God, not only am I going to listen to his word and obey him, I'm going to be a worshiper of the living God. And when you come here on a Sunday or maybe you're at home and you click a CD on or CDs, oh, what do people have now? <laughs> click on something on the phone, whatever, plug your phone in, whatever. And, and you get something on there that's going to bring the presence of God. Okay, now not all music brings the presence of God. But I tell you, there's music that brings the presence of God. And that's what I like. That's what I love. I tell you, some, well, I'm at work sometimes, you know, um, and there's always the radio going in the background. It could be Triple J, it could be CFM, it could be whatever. But, you know, I'm working away on my own somewhere down the back and this is playing. And some, something comes on that's like an anthem kind of a song. You know, I have no idea what the song is, but, you know, I'm just saying, God, I'm going to start worshipping you. It sounds, that sounds like a worship song to me. And I'm going to start worshipping God. Hey, it works. I don't, I don't care. Triple J, I don't they can do what they like, but I'm, I'm going to worship God to that music. You can do that. That's all right. <laughs> so it says, bring me a musician. And then when the musician played, the power of God came on Elisha. The presence of God came over him. The power of God came upon him. Bring me a musician. Bring me an Aaron. Bring me a Tim. Bring me someone that can play. Bring me a musician that's going to bring the presence of God right now. You know, there's a lot of places in the Bible where it, it talks about this. It says that when we praise, when we lift up his name, that God lives in that. Like Psalm 22 where it says that God inhabits or God lives in the praises of his people. The one that I really love is in Exodus chapter 15. And it says there that uh, Moses was leading the people of Israel and they've just come, they've, they've, been, they've come through the waters of the Red Sea. You know, you've heard this story before. And, and the Red Sea stood up on both sides of them like a great chasm. And they walked through on dry land. They got to the other side. And all of a sudden, Moses breaks out in this spontaneous song. And he says, you know, God, you are my strength. You are my song. And now you've become my victory. You've actually led us into victory as we praised you. But another, a couple of old translations say it a bit differently. They say that, God, you're my strength, you're my song, and I will build a house for you. I'll build a habitation where God can live. And what Moses was really saying is when we worship, when we praise, we build a place where God wants to come and live amongst us. And that's what Elisha was doing. 
Elisha said, I got to have a musician right now. Bring someone along that can bring the presence of God. So I want to hear from God right now. And he did. And God began to speak these words through Elisha. You know, sometimes you've got to break through in that. There's a lot of times when you mightn't feel like worshipping God. Sometimes you might not even feel like coming to church on a Sunday. You know, King David, who wrote about half the Psalms, he, um, he spoke about that. He said there were times when he didn't want to be with the people of God. There were difficult times and he was just struggling and things were so bad. He felt so depressed, so discouraged, so under the burdens of the attacks that were coming against him and all this stuff. He just didn't want to go to church on that day. You can read about it in Psalm 42 and he says, On those days I start talking to myself and I say, Soul, start to praise God. Soul, start to give thanks to God. Start to lift up your heart and worship God. Because when you do, it lifts you into another dimension where God's word becomes more powerful and more visible and more relevant in your life than your own feelings. That's a powerful thing. Become a worshipper. I remember clearly you know, when I was a, a teenager and I'd, I'd been a, a follower of Jesus for quite some time. I grew up in church and you know, all that. But I probably about the age of 17 when I came to a point and I, I just really wanted to go on with God and, and become a, you know, and I just knew that the next thing for me was to really start to worship God with my heart. And when I did that, I decided one day that I'm not going to care what anyone else thinks. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to dance. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to jump around. I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm just going to worship God from my heart. And you know what happened? When I did that and I started to, to worship God with abandon is about the only word you can put in there. Something began to happen in my own life. And my relationship with God just went like that. It just went up because I determined I was going to be a worshiper of God. And maybe there's some people here this morning and you need to make that same decision yourself and say, I don't really care what anyone else thinks. I'm here. I'm in the presence of God. I'm just going to worship God. You know, I, you know what happens? I, I find sometimes that it's just great to be here on a Sunday and you know, people are dancing and they're free before God and down the front and heaps of young people. And it's just amazing. It's fantastic. You know what? Um, I find... If you're a little bit older, sometimes you've got to overcome a bit of conservatism. You know, that's right. I call conservatism like the creeping death. You know, it's, it's, always, it's always there, trying to drag you back down to some other more, uh, you know, conservative way or some more sophisticated way or, you know, and all that sort of stuff. You know, all that, that doesn't really fit the picture of King David in the Bible where he said they were bringing back the presence of God into the city of Jerusalem. And he said, I'm going to dance. And, and they were saying, some people said to him, don't you realize that people, you're, you're being undignified. The king should be more dignified. And David said, yet. <laughs> he said, basically, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> he said, I'm going to be even more undignified. Because the one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to praise God. And I'm going to give him all the worship that he deserves. And he, he just didn't care about anybody else. So it's a wonderful thing to do. Let's talk about, that's the atmosphere 
The kind of atmosphere that we need for a miracle where you can hear from God. Let's talk about the actions of a miracle. The prophet Elisha says, verse 16, This is God's word. Dig trenches or dig ditches all over this valley. Here's what will happen. You won't hear the wind. You won't see the rain. But this valley is going to fill up with water and your army and your animals will drink their fill. This is easy for God to do. He will also hand over Moab to you. See, God was in the whole thing. It wasn't just about their survival. It was about their victory in the battle as well. And we're not going to really touch on that this morning. But God actually gave them a great victory over Moab as well. It was a supernatural and a remarkable thing that happened. Dig trenches all over this valley and God is going to meet your needs supernaturally. You see, it was what God, God was saying to them at that time. I want you to start right now preparing for the miracle to happen. I want you to get ready today because tomorrow the miracle will happen. And maybe there's some people here this morning and God is just challenging you with this issue. You've been in a, a difficult time. Maybe it's even been a crisis time. Maybe it's something that's outside of your control. And he's saying to you this morning, I want you to get ready for the miracle to happen. What can you do today to prepare for the miracle God wants to give you? It seems that they were, they'd been marching up actually what was a dry water course. When you study the original language and uh, Elisha's prophesying, dig trenches and ditches all over this valley. The word valley there literally means torrent or uh, a torrent valley. It means that it was a place where water would have flowed. It was just bone dry at the moment. There was no water. And the problem with it is, is that the water would normally run away so quickly if rain began to fall. And the water would be there and gone so quickly there'd be nothing there. God said start to dig trenches all over this valley so that when the water comes it's going to be retained and you're going to be able to drink and you're going to survive. And I'm going to give you a great victory over the Moabites. Get ready for something great in your life. You've all heard this before I know that but athletes and great champions aren't Reveal aren't made on the racetrack or in the field of play or in the, in the public spotlight. Great champions are made in seclusion, in the 4 a.m. starts, getting up and training for five hours before going to work, or the long days or, or you know, difficult times and hard conditions of training. That's where champions are made. They're only revealed on the racetrack or in the boxing ring or in some other field of play. Sometimes we've got to prepare ourselves for the miracle that God wants to get to do in our life. Get ready for something great in your life. That might mean for you training. It might mean giving. It might mean changing your focus about generosity. Maybe God's been speaking to your heart for some time about, about this principle of giving and, and you've really got a financial need in your life and you're really challenged about that. And this morning, you know, in the, in the words of this prophetic word here, start to dig ditches all over this valley and make provision for God. Maybe you need to dig a ditch right now, right through your wallet and make room for God to, to have provision in your life, to, to bring a supernatural flood of resources beyond what you could even imagine that might mean clearing out some things get some of those uh, you know cobwebs and some of those moths out of your wallet maybe you know what I'm talking about I'm talking about having a heart of generosity 
you know one of the most amazing things about this is that they started digging. They, they started digging trenches. Wherever they were camped, they dug another trench. And one of the incredible things about this is while they were digging, at the same time, the rain was falling. It might have been 100 k's away. Because Elisha said, you know, you're not going to see the wind. You're not going to see the rain. You won't know what's going on, but this valley is going to be full of water. And maybe over in the back, the bad lands of Edom, it says maybe the, the rain started falling. It was falling while they were digging, but they had no idea. The amazing thing about this is your answer, your miracle solution, God has in hand. He's working on it all the time while you're being faithful. All the time while you're starting to do something about the miracle, God's actually working on the solution. He's just waiting to bring it to you. It took faith. It took effort. It took discipline. They were already exhausted. They were, you know, they were, they were just about run out. It took obedience, but they did it. They started digging. In 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 20, it says, In the morning, it was at the hour of the morning sacrifice. The water had arrived. Water pouring in from the west, from Edom, a flash flood. Filling the valley with water. You know, what you do to prepare for a miracle often unlocks the power of God in your life. It's a principle that it's important we don't miss this morning. You know, when Jesus was uh, in his earthly ministry, he would say to people, someone was there like the man who had a withered hand. Jesus came to him and said, stretch out your hand And as the man began to do that, the power of God flowed upon him and the healing miracle took place. There was another day where a man was paralyzed and his friends couldn't get him to where Jesus was because there were so many people crushing and pressing around Jesus. They were in a house. Jesus was in the house with maybe 50 or 100 people. They went up on the roof and they broke open the roof. You can imagine there's all bits of mud and stuff coming down through on top of the people. They're all kind of freaking out. But they laid him down on, a, on, a, on ropes. They let him down onto the floor right in front of where Jesus was. He saw their faith. It wasn't even the faith of the sick man himself it was the faith of his friends and Jesus said to him you know your faith has made you well your sins are forgiven and of course all the the religious people really arced up about that they didn't like that but Jesus said to the man okay take up your bed take up your mat that you're lying on and walk and go home and as he began to do that as he began to to make his way up, something happened. The miracle took place and he jumped to his feet, took his mat, his little bed and walked home. Sometimes, friends, we've got to just start to do something to unlock the power of God in our lives. And I say to you this morning, what's the miracle that you need? And what's the thing that you can do right now to prepare your heart for the miracle that God wants to bring into your life? If you need... A miracle today. If you need something to happen, maybe it's an area of sickness in your life. And I'm just going to ask the musicians to come right now. Maybe there's a a need in your life that's beyond your resources. That could be a financial thing or it could be physical healing. Maybe there's been some diagnosis that that, uh, is not good. And the doctor's... 
don't have really a solution for that. But you know what the problem is. They just don't have a solution. I want to tell you this morning, God has a solution for your situation. Maybe there's some other issue in your life that you just really can't break through and, and you really just need God to work in that situation and bring the answer right now. This morning, friends, I want to make a few moments of, of time and provision here. If you're in that situation and you need a miracle right now and you want someone to pray with you, our prayer team are ready this morning. They're waiting to come and pray with you. Why don't you just stand to your feet right now, everyone across the auditorium. This morning, we're going to start to sing a song, a worship song, which says, all my hope is in you. And as we do this morning, if God has touched your heart and you need a miracle, there are people here that will pray with you this morning. Hallelujah. I just want you to come and stand along the front. And fill up. There's plenty of room and there's people that will come and pray with you this morning. Let's begin to sing that song this morning. Thanks, Melissa. Maybe there's people here this morning and you're just on a journey towards God while we're praying for folks down the front here. I want to give you an opportunity also. If you're on a journey towards God, but you've never really made that decision to accept Jesus into your heart. Perhaps you feel today like maybe a bit of an outsider and, and yet you know that all around you there are people who actually have a real faith in God and that's how you want to be you want to have that kind of faith and this morning God is just stirring your heart you know friends all you've got to do is make a decision and welcome Him into your life just make that decision to turn over to Him because the Bible says that He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and when you say when you accept His forgiveness for you Everything changes. His love and His life and His grace will come into your heart and you will know in a moment of time that you've become a different person on the inside and the Spirit of God has come to live on the inside of you. That's what makes these people around you different today. They've got the Spirit of God resting on the inside of them. So I give you that invitation. How many here would say this morning, you know, I've, I've never really made that decision, but today I'm making that decision. I want to turn my life over to God. I want to become a follower of Jesus. If that's you, yeah, see that one hand. How many other people here this morning would say, yeah, that's me. Just raise your hand and we'll see it today. And you can put it down. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that. God is touching hearts here this morning. If He's working in your life today, don't miss the opportunity. How many others here would say that? And it may also be that you've been on a journey with God for some time and you felt that your heart has grown cold and you just need, you know that today you need to come back to Him. You need to say, God, I've been away from You. My life hasn't been lived in a way that pleases You. But this morning, I want to come back to You. I want to commit my life wholly to You and determine to follow You with my whole heart. If that's you, just raise your hand this morning over this congregation today. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you. Just wait for a moment. That's you. Just raise your hand briefly. Put it down again. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord God. We're going to just pray a short prayer together. We'll put, up, put the words up on the screen. And if you can just join me in the words of this prayer, this prayer is just affirming 
a decision to follow Christ. And uh, we're going to pray these words together. Simple little prayer. Let's pray right now together. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I will follow you. Amen. Now I want to say, friends, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, or if you prayed it for the first time sincerely in your heart today, then the Bible says that if you've got faith to believe and you confess your faults to Him, you will be saved. He does come in on the inside and something begins to happen on the inside. I encourage you, if you're taking that step today, just get with someone who brought you or a, or a close friend who knows the Lord or one of the staff, one of the pastors from around here and they'll just encourage you a little bit further in that decision. But it's the best decision you can ever make to become a follower of Jesus. The best thing you can ever do. We're just going to sing another song as we finish our service this morning. But you have a fantastic week. God bless you. Get ready for a miracle in your life.